today we are continuing our study on spiritual warfare. And um, if you have your Bibles, open it to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would set every heart free. It is for freedom that you have set us free. You have not set us free to walk in guilt. You have not set us free to walk in sorrow. You have not set us free to walk in condemnation. You have set us free for freedom. And we pray in Jesus' name that we would learn to walk in this freedom by wielding the sword of truth, holding up the shield of faith, embracing the breastplate of righteousness, wearing the helmet of salvation, and having our feet fitted with the gospel of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Satan's number one target in your life, his number one tool in your life, you would think it might be something like lust, right? You would think it might be something like alcoholism, right? You would think it might be something like pornography or or anger, right? No. Satan's number one tool to attack you is accusations and condemnations. That's the heart of it. Because everything else flows from that. If Satan can beat you up with accusations, true or untrue, and beat you down with condemnation, well then, rather than running to God, you run away from God and deeper into your sin. Rather than waiting upon God, you meet your needs in your time and in your way. The way that... He continues to keep us to walk in sin, to walk in lust, to walk in anger, is to beat us up with accusations and beat us down with his condemnation. So let me introduce you to the high priest, Joshua. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the Lord... Now, this is not Joshua that succeeded Moses, Joshua. This is Joshua in the era of Zerubbabel, who went back to rebuild the temple, and later Nehemiah would come back to rebuild the walls around the temple. So this is Joshua the high priest, and Joshua the high priest was actually a young man. Joshua the high priest, and now we have a very interesting glimpse where... God, through Scripture, pulls back the veil from this world, and we see what's happening in the heavenly of heavenlies. We saw a glimpse of this when Pastor Robbie talked last week about Job and Satan accusing Job in the throne room of God, and here's this event again. Once again, Satan is accusing. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Do you realize that this is what Satan does night and day, 24-7? He lives and breathes to accuse the saints. He accuses the lost. He accuses the saints night and day. And he accuses them with the truth, things that they've done. Look at what you've done. Look at the places you've been. You've been so far from God. How could God ever love you again? You've you've fallen so short. How could God ever reach out to you again? How could you dare stand before God's people to minister? How could you dare stand before God? Look at the things that you've done. Oh, if everybody knew what you've done. Besides what you've done, look at your heart. Look at your mind. Look at your motives. 
Look at your lust. Look at your anger. Look at your resentment. Look at your bitterness. Look at who you are. Look at what you've done. How do you think you can pray? How do you think you can minister? How do you think you can stand before God's people? This is what Satan does night and day. Never. He never stops accusing. The earliest book in scripture is the book of Job. That's the earliest writing chronologically. It preceded Moses who wrote the Pentateuch, Genesis through Leviticus. And so there uh, at the hand of Job, the, the person who wrote Job may be Moses, but we see Satan accusing, accusing, accusing. Right here, mid-scripture, late prophet Zechariah, once again, we see Satan accusing, accusing, accusing. We go to the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Revelation, and we see, once again, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, accusing, accusing, accusing. And what's interesting is we read uh, Zechariah chapter 3, is that Satan stood at the right hand accusing Joshua. This was the best of the best. This was the best of the best. Beat down by accusations. Beat down with condemnations. And I find it very interesting that Joshua the high priest made no rebuttal. He he didn't say, yeah, but let me explain. He was speechless because the accusations were the truth. And this is what accusations are. Accusations are the truth of our lives if Christ were omitted from the biography. Accusations are where we've been. It's who we are. It's what we've done. It's where we're going had Christ not intervened in our lives. Accusations are our reality if Christ were not a part of it. And that's why we stand speechless. And this is what Satan does. We've said that he's a toothless bulldog. He's been defeated with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He is all bark, no bite, but he barks loud. And what he barks are pure accusations. And we are completely defenseless to them. Verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the Lord clothed with filthy garments. In actuality, if you want to actually go into the Hebrew, it's garments covered with human excrement. That is our best before God. Not just our worst. That is our best before God. We are clothed in garments of righteousness that equate to excrement. Verse 3. Joshua was standing before the Lord clothed in filthy garments, and the Lord said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments. And he said to him, I have taken away your iniquity, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. This is what Jesus does. The cross of Christ removes these filthy garments. This is what Christ does on the cross. When Jesus died, so did our sin. But we also read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And in Christ, in Christ, we become the very righteousness of God. We're not clothed with our best. We are clothed, get this, with his best. The righteousness of Christ. This is what Martin Luther called the great exchange. If you are in Christ, then you are clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. 
You are holy. You are pure. Not because of what you've done or haven't done, but because of what Christ did for you on the cross. He removed your sins, but not only that, the great exchange goes a step further. He clothed you in the garments of salvation, the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, you would think that that would be the end of it, right? But that's not the end of it. It's not the end of it because Satan continues to accuse. We are clothed with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but Satan continues to condemn us. He continues to accuse us. He continues to beat us up with where we've been and what we've done. He continues to beat us up with the truth of who we are apart from Christ, even though we are in Christ. And though we are clothed in the righteousness of God, he continues to remind us of who we are without Christ. He continues to cause us to doubt who we are in Christ. Let me repeat that. These are accusations. This is condemnation. He continues to remind us of that in which God has thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. He continues to cause us to doubt who we are in Christ Jesus. And though we are the righteousness of God, though we are forgiven, though we are anointed, though we are called, though we are chosen, He continues to say, who are you? Look at where you've been. Look at what you've done. Isn't this a sad picture? Clothed in the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, holy and pure And yet we continue to live beat down and beat up and filled with guilt and filled with sorrow. And we continue to be timid and perhaps somebody offers you a ministry responsibility and you think, oh no, no, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. Perhaps somebody asks you to pray and you think, oh no, who am I? No, who am I? We're the righteousness of God. Satan has no power, no authority. Again, he's all bark and no bite, but he barks loud and he barks pure condemnation and pure accusations. The victory or defeat in spiritual warfare hinges upon whether or not we believe Satan's accusations or the truth of who we are in Christ. We must learn to fight as Christ fought. In fact, the only way that we can stand is as Christ stood. He didn't try to wing it. He fought with Scripture. Now, we're talking about our identity in Christ, clothed in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, when God the Father spoke an identity over the Son, He said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That identity was threefold. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I love you, you're my Son, and I'm pleased with you. I love you, you're my Son, and I'm pleased with you. The Bible says in Colossians, we are hidden in Christ. We are hidden in Christ. So therefore, since we are in Christ, Christ's identity is our identity. What is Christ's identity? threefold our identity we are beloved we are his and we are well pleasing because we are in Christ we are clothed in the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and Satan countered every attack with scripture it is written it is written it is written and that's how we encounter Satan comes against us who are you to pray and we say it is written There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan comes against us. Who are you to minister? 
and we say, it is written, he has separated my sins from me as far as the east is from the west. Satan comes against us. Who are you to think you can pray? Who are you to minister? It is written, 2 Corinthians 5.21, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He comes against us. Who are you? You better give up. Look at how long you've been trying. It is written, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Every time Satan's open his mouth, we open the word of God and we say, it is written, it is written, it is written. This is how we stand in spiritual warfare. Praise Jesus. Let's praise our God. I'm going to pray over you as we continue in this sermon that you learn to walk in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would walk in a holy boldness, a holy authority, a holy assurance, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you have done. To you be the glory and the highest. Praise you for not only forgiving our sins, but praise you for clothing us with the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. So let's break down this Zechariah 3 passage. Notice, Satan's target is your standing. Look at this at the first part of Zechariah 3, 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, watch this, standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. This is what Satan targets, our standing. Now, there is some debate in theological circles whether this standing refers to uh, Zachariah's, or I'm sorry, Joshua the high priest's uh, judicial standing before a holy God, or whether this refers to Joshua the high priest's ministerial standing in between God and the people, and in reality, uh, this is an attack against all standing. Satan targets one, our standing in judicial accountability. Second, he targets our standing in ministerial responsibility. And thirdly, he targets our standing in spiritual victory. For example, there's a story about an eagle's nest. And this eagle's nest was high up on a mountain. And an egg fell out. And this bald eagle's egg landed in the middle of chickens. And so this egg hatched. And the eagle was born among chickens. And the eagle learned to walk like a chicken and pluck like a chicken and act like a chicken and relate to chickens. And every now and then, this bald eagle would look up at the sky and see another eagle soaring. And its heart would begin to pound fast for just a moment and think, oh, what it would be to soar like that. And then its reality would quickly overshadow its dreams and the eagle would say, oh well, what a stupid thought. I'm just a chicken. How sad of a story is that? And yet that is the reality of many Christians, perhaps most Christians, clothed with the very righteousness of God. In judicial uh, accountability, we can stand before God in holiness. The Bible says, boldly make your request known unto the Lord. We can stand boldly before the Lord. In terms of ministerial responsibility, we can minister with a clean conscience. We can minister with complete freedom, with complete joy to one another. And we can stand in spiritual victory and on a daily basis of peace and joy but then we look at that dream and we quickly say oh well what a stupid thought 
I remember what I've done. I remember where I've been. And we lose that spiritual battle because we choose to believe the accusing and condemning lies of the enemy rather than our reality in Christ. Satan targets your standing. And so let me ask you this. Are you standing before God with boldness and authority? Not because you're confident in your goodness. Because again, your goodness are like filthy rags covered in excrement. Not because you're standing in your righteousness, but because you're standing in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Your confidence, your identity is this. When Jesus died on the cross, so did your sins. And when Jesus rose from the grave, so did your hope. You were clothed in the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is our identity. Now, look at Satan's weapon to um, pull our... Our our knees out from underneath us. Satan's weapon are accusations. Again, sometimes these accusations are lies. God can never love you. That's a lie. Sometimes these accusations are the truth. You know where you've been. You know what you've done. How could God use you? How could he answer your prayers? But by Christ, but through Christ, we are the very righteousness of God. We see that Satan is standing beside Joshua the high priest to accuse him. In Revelation 12.10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. This is his name. This is who he is. This is his, his, his function. Accusing and accusations are as natural to Satan as breathing is for you right now. And so you better be careful, incidentally, if you ever stand in a position of accusing other Christians. Because you better ask yourself, who's influencing you? It's not Christ. Satan is not accusing. Jesus said, I have not come to condemn, but to, but, but, but to give righteousness. So who's accusing? It's Satan. So if you're ever gossiping or slandering or accusing, you better beware because you're somebody's instrument. And it's not an instrument of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 7.10, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And what Paul does here in 2 Corinthians 7.10 is breaks down the difference between condemnation and conviction. And in order to stand firm, guys, you've got to be able to discern. You have to learn to discern between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the condemnation of Satan. The Bible tells us that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And that means that he presents himself as the Holy Spirit, but he's not. And he accuses and condemns, but that is so different than condemnation, than than, than the conviction of the Holy Spirit. See, the conviction of the Holy Spirit makes you disgust your sin. Not yourself, but your sin. And it's causes you to miss God and to long for God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit causes you to disgust your sin, not yourself, and to long for God and to return to Him. Anytime the Holy Spirit convicts, it does cause us to grieve. Has anybody ever been convicted by the Holy Spirit? Oh, do y'all know of a more heavy weight in this world? Oh, goodness. David said, your hand is heavy upon me like the heat of summer. My strength was sapped 
because I hid my iniquity. As long as we, as long as we continue to wallow in the sin and the conviction, it, it grows heavier and heavier upon our lives. And what a weight that is. But it doesn't cause us to de- be disgusted with ourselves. It causes us to be disgusted with our sin. And then it causes us to turn from our sin. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit always has the underlying truth that Christ's arms are wide open waiting for us to return to Him. Conviction is a beautiful thing, but then there's the condemnation of Satan. Condemnation doesn't cause us to be disgusted with our sin. Condemnation causes us to become disgusted with ourselves. And condemnation doesn't have the underlying truth that Christ's arms are wide open. Condemnation has the subtle lie that Christ has turned his back on us and we've exhausted his love and patience. Therefore, condemnation is designed not to cause us to run from our sin and back to God. Condemnation is designed to cause us to run further and further away from God and deeper and deeper into our sin. Many Christians are walking in in addiction, in loss, in in powerless, in impotent spiritual lives because they fail to distinguish between the condemnation of Satan and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We cast down condemnation, but we embrace the conviction of the Holy Spirit and run from our sin and immediately run back to Christ and immediately enjoy unsevered fellowship with Him. Satan's purpose... Is to crush your heart. This is what he's doing in this condemnation and these accusations and trying to take your standing out from underneath you with these accusing sometimes truths, accusing sometimes lies. His purpose is to crush your heart. Satan wants to distract you from your relationship with God and your calling. He wants to intimidate you. He wants to beat you down. He wants to discourage you. He wants to sideline you. He wants to destroy you. And what is your defense? Humanly speaking, you've got to understand this to be able to walk in freedom. Humanly speaking, you have no defense. Humanly speaking, I have no defense. One of the greatest lessons that we can take from Joshua the high priest is that he didn't rebuttal. He knew he was guilty. He knew he was condemned. In and of himself, he had no defense. However, he looked to his defender. He had no defense in and of himself, but he looked to his defender, and his victory was in his defender, and that's where our victory is. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Here is our defense. It's twofold. One, it's Christ's blood. And you think, well, that's enough. No. Secondly, it's your boldness. It's your audacity to believe in Christ's blood. Christ's blood in and of itself has potential in our lives, but not power. In order for Christ's blood to be manifest in our life with power, we must have the audacity to apply it to our lives. We must audaciously say, yes, I know where I've been. I know what I've done. But I have the audacity to place my confidence exclusively in the blood of Christ and Christ alone. So that just one drop of the blood of Christ has made me the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I'm going to act like it. Therefore, I'm going to pray like it. Therefore, I'm going to relate to others like it. Therefore, I'm going to dream like it. And therefore, I'm going to speak like it. And therefore, I'm going to minister like it. Our confidence is not in ourselves; It's in the blood of Christ. 
so often I see supposedly humble Christians walking in timidity, walking in fear and saying, oh, I can't do that. I can't pray like that. They're not humble. They're prideful because they're exclusively focused on themselves and they're neglecting the power of the blood of Christ upon upon their lives. True humility is audacious in its boldness because we're not focused upon ourselves or where we've been at all. We are entirely and utterly exclusively focused on the blood of Christ. Zechariah 3, 4 and 5. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, behold, I've taken your iniquity away. And this is a picture of the gospel. This is the application in our lives today. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And that would be enough. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Watch this. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head and put pure vestments and clothing on them. And so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. We are clothed in the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Again, Christ's identity is our identity. You are loved. You are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. And you are well-pleasing to him. When you pray, know that you're loved, you're his, and you're well-pleasing. When you minister, when you encourage, know that you are loved, you are his, and you are well-pleasing. And Satan will attack that identity more than anything else. How could God still love you? How could you be pleasing? How could you still be his child? And so we have to respond with the scripture. It is written, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus our Lord. This theology makes theologians struggle, but a child can get it. This theology, this is the gospel, it offends religious people because it makes all their works amount to nothing. But it offers hope to sinners because they can be transformed immediately. This theology has been the foundation for my life for the last 20 years. This sermon is well researched, but but in my life personally, more importantly, it is well tested. I shudder to think where I would be today apart from the blood of Christ that has cleansed me of all unrighteousness and made me the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I shudder to to think where I might be. Quite literally, I perhaps would have killed myself. I certainly would not have joy. I certainly would not be in ministry. And I would certainly not love God today more than ever before. Our defense is our position in Christ, but not only that, it is our commitment to Christ. Watch this in Revelation chapter 12. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto death. And so let me just conclude this sermon by taking us to a heavenly court scene, uh, not involving Job, as we talked about last week, and not involving Joshua the high priest that we talked about today from Zechariah chapter 3, but talking about your life. Let's picture you on trial. And let's picture Satan, the accuser of the brethren, accusing and condemning you. How would you hold up? You know what he would do to accuse you, to condemn you? He would just use God's words to condemn God's people. 
He's so slick. He's so subtle. He's so deceptive. So let's just start with the Ten Commandments. There was only ten of them in the Old Testament, and none of us could keep one. None of us could keep one. And he would start and say, look, your command's right there, the first one. Thou shalt have no other God before you. And yet, how many times has Shane put things before you? How many times has Shane loved things or people before you? How many times has Shane loved not just good things, but sinful, hideous, immoral things more than you, God? Like Joshua the high priest, I would be speechless. I wouldn't say, well, let me put this in context now. I wouldn't say that. I would stand defenseless. Thou shalt honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. How many times has Shane taken matters into his own hands and not trusted you and not rested as a, as a testimony of his trust in you, but worked seven days a week, month after month, or beyond that? How many times has Shane uh, taken the Sabbath for himself, not even to honor you, but for himself? And I would stand once again defenseless, speechless, guilty. And we could go through all Ten Commandments. You say, well, have you murdered somebody? Yeah, I have. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. I tell you, if you're even angry with your brother without cause, you've committed murder in your heart. And Satan would say, not only that, but according to your own words, shame has murdered. Have you committed adultery? Yeah. Jesus said in Matthew 5, the same place, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. I've coveted things that people had that I thought I deserved. All ten commandments. Guilty, 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 guilty. He's an accuser, and you want to know something? He is an excellent, he is the best prosecutor. And I would stand guilty. However, not only do I have a great judge, God the Father, and not only do I have a ruthless and flawless prosecutor, I have a defender. I have a defense attorney. And Jesus would say, Father, all of those things are true. But remember, all of those things were taken care of on the cross. When I died on the cross, all of Shane's sins died. And when I rose, Shane's hope rose. So he's trusted me, Father. So not only is he forgiven, but he's clothed in the very righteousness of God. Take a look at our identity in Christ. This is your identity in Christ. Were we guilty? Yes. In Christ. Are we guilty? No. We are the very righteousness of God. This is taken from Neil T. Anderson's book, The Bondage Breaker. This is our identity in Christ. Uh, Truths from Scripture. One, in Christ you are accepted. And by the way, I encourage you, I encourage you to read through this every day. Every day, read through your identity in Christ. Own this identity. Know that this is your identity. Satan attacks your identity more than anything else. Our authority, our boldness, our joy is based upon believing the truth of our identity in Christ over Satan. I've actually gone to a Christian counselor for over a year, and all we did was discuss my identity in Christ. And we should live and breathe from this identity so that there's no confusion in it whatsoever. I am accepted. 
This means I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord and I am one with Him. I have been bought with the price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint. I have been adopted as God's child. I have direct direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I am secure. I am free forever from condemnation. I am assured that all things work together for good. I am free from any condemning charges against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 begins with this promise. In Christ there is no condemnation. And it concludes with this promise. In Christ there is no separation. Nothing can separate you. Did you know that you're included in that category of nothing? I am convinced that neither height nor depth nor angels nor things present nor things to come nor things in all creation can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. You are included in a nothing or all things. You can't even separate yourself from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I am forever free. I cannot be separated. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am confident that the good work that God has begun in me will be perfected. I am a citizen in heaven. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. I can find grace and mercy in my time of need. I am born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. And not only that, but I am significant. I am the salt and light of the earth. I am a branch and true vine, a channel of his life. I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am a personal witness of Christ. I am God's temple. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am God's co-worker. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Notice that you have an orange piece of paper. It's a sticky note on your outline. I want you to write something on this sticky note, or maybe if you don't have a pen, or maybe you don't want to write it down, just say this sticky note represents this and this, and know what it represents in your heart and mind. Whatever it is, something that has caused you to walk in guilt, some accusing lie, some condemnation that has been robbing you of peace, robbing you of joy, that's been hindering you from approaching the throne room of God with boldness, from praying with authority, from dreaming God-sized dreams, from living with passion on a daily basis, something in your life that's condemned you, some accusation, some condemning lie that has been hindering you. It could be a flat-out lie that's not true. Maybe something that has been influenced upon your heart and mind because of a behavior of somebody that's affected you, maybe in an abuse type situation. Or it can be something that is true, somewhere that you've been, something that you've done. Write this condemnation, write this accusing lie on this piece of paper, or maybe it represents it. There have been times I've gone to the lake and I've picked up a few rocks. And I said, well, this rock represents this and this. And I throw it into the water and I watch it sink. And I pray that he has separated me as far as the east is from the west from my sins. Or this represents this person or that person. Or this situation or that situation. And I throw it and I watch it sink. And I say, Lord, I entrust that into your love. And I'm going to be released of resentment, released of bitterness. And I'm going to love. 
and I'm going to forgive. And, but I, I let it go. I, I release it. So this represents some condemnation, some accusing lie, or some, some stronghold in your life. Perhaps it's an addiction. And the thing about addictions is this. This is the most insidious thing about addictions. It's not just that Satan causes people to do things so that they get caught with a stronghold. It's that they start believing that they are that stronghold. Condemnation quickly settles in so that they begin not discussing the sin, they love the sin, but they begin getting disgusted with themselves and they are deep into condemnation. And so write that on this and say, I'm going to, I'm going to throw that as far as the east is from the west, Lord, into your everlasting love. I am the, righteous of, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am forgiven. So whatever it is, it could be resentment. It could be bitterness. It could be an accusing lie. It could be an accusing truth apart from Christ. Or it could be some stronghold in your life. Some habit, some hang-up. Whatever it is, write it on this paper or let it represent. Let this piece of paper represent it. There was a time that, that I, I, was, uh, I was doing a, a, a retreat for single adults, and it was a spiritual growth thing, and, and I was speaking at it, and, and I could tell that everybody was... Um, bound by their past. Everybody was walking in timidity. I mean, you could just see it in their eyes. There wasn't life. There wasn't vibrancy. There wasn't joy. When, one of the things I, I love about uh, Facebook is that you can see a, a history of people's lives, you know, where they've been, and then maybe they met Christ, and then where they are now, and you can see it different. Like if they, if they knew, if they didn't know Christ, and now they know Christ, though they were smiling then, and now they're smiling, it's different. There's a life in them. There's a vitality in their eyes. There's freedom. And, and I could tell that these folks didn't have that. I could tell that they were, they, they were being beat up and, and they were timid. And, and so I said, okay, everybody write down on a piece of paper what it is from your past that's holding you. Some resentment, some accusation, some condemnation, some bitterness, some stronghold. They wrote it down. And I said, okay, we're going to do something with these in the morning. So in the morning, we put all of them in a bottle. And I said, follow me down by the lake. And so they're all in the bottle. I filled the bottle up the rest of the way with water so that it would sink. And then I said, this is what Christ does with it. And I threw it as far as I could, and we watched it sink, and we watched the ripples stop. And I turned around, and I read from Isaiah about the former things are gone, and the Lord has forgotten them, and behold, He's doing a new thing. And I talked to them about how they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and the things in that bottle are not their identity. Their identity is Christ And as I was preparing for this morning's sermon, I was thinking I wish I could take us all to the lake and walk through that same exercise. But we have something better. We're going to walk through the cross. And in order to walk through the cross together, we have these communion elements. And even if you're a first-time guest, we want to invite you to partake of these. Even if you're from a different religion, we want to invite you to partake of these. The bread represents Jesus who hung on the cross. The juice... It represents the blood of Jesus that washes your sins away. The bread and the juice together represents that all of your sins, all of your past is forgotten. And it represents that you are clothed in the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so I want you to take this orange piece of paper. Maybe you've written something down, and I encourage you to actually walk through the exercise of writing something down on it, folding it up. And you can even go like this to it. And then bring it down here. This will represent the sea of forgetfulness, as Micah talked about. The sea of forgetfulness. 
He will cast them into the sea and remember our sins no more. And so take this orange piece of paper and I want you to come down here and then I want you just to drop it or throw it here. You know, in the book of John, the book of 1 John, John writes so fatherly, so tenderly, so gently to Christians who will sin. He says, my children. And then he later on distinguishes who he's talking to from the unsaved world. So we know that he's talking to saints. He said, my children, my, my children, I, I, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate. If you mess up, confess up and get up. We look to the cross. We look away from the condemnation and we look to the cross. Conviction leads us out of sin and to open arms of Christ to immediately restored fellowship. You must distinguish between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation leads you further away from God, further away from God's people, and deeper into your sin, hating yourself more and loving your sin more. Conviction is just the opposite. You become disgusted with your sin. You love Christ. You love yourself. And you run back into open arms. Immediately um, restored into fellowship with God. 1 John 1.9 If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. This is, this is talking about restoring your relationship. You are the righteousness of God. You are forgiven. You are a saint. The, my identity in Christ, I ask you to read every day. That is you. But immediately restored fellowship with Christ. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you on the cross. Would you stand with me? There are many different ways we partake of communion, but uh, this morning, I just want you to do it personally. Um, Whatever this is, take it and just leave it here in the sea of forgetfulness. You might spend some time praying, spend some time confessing, spend some time releasing people that you're resentful toward, spend some time praying blessings on people that have hurt you, letting them go. Uh, spend some time telling the Lord that you're turning from a stronghold, a, a habit that's had a grip on you that you keep returning to. Turning from these things. Turning back to Christ. Spend some time saying, I know that I am not my wound. I know that I'm not my hurt. I am forgiven and I am the righteousness of God. I am loved, I am yours, and I am pleasing to you in Christ. So just spend some time confessing these things. Or you may just want to throw it down and then get the elements. And then you take the juice, you take the bread. And then between you and the Lord, you can find a corner in this auditorium. You can partake of the elements here. You can kneel here. You can go back to your seat and kneel. But take the bread first. And that is a picture that Jesus said of his body that was broken for us on the cross. And then drink the juice. And that's a picture of his blood that washes your sins away. What can make us white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us clean and whole? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this is an artistic element that Jesus gave his church to be able to reflect upon our identity of Christ through what he's done for us. So let me pray for you. Father, 
We pray for freedom today. It is for freedom that you have set us free. It is not for guilt. It is not for timidity. It is not for fear. It is not for sorrow. It is not for defeat. It is not for a second-rate Christian life that you have set us free. It is for freedom that you have set us free. And so we declare that we will live victoriously in the spiritual battle. And we will counter Satan's accusation in condemning lies and truths with the truth of the cross and our identity in you. We are forgiven and we are the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we pray that as we partake of these elements and as we cast these struggles into the sea of forgetfulness, that we would leave with complete freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's respond.